Our first scripture reading this morning is from the third and fourth chapter of Jonah, beginning on page 811 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, Is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, You're concerned about the bush, for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, the first 16 verses. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard to play red light, green light. <laughs> when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing around all day? They said, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, This last worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, Am I, do, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? 
Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. Give us ears to hear, O Lord. Ears that go all the way down to our hearts so that your word may grip us, hold us, and change us. For you alone have the words of eternal life. Amen. Last Sunday we read an account of Peter negotiating with Jesus the the limits of forgiveness. If somebody offends me, asked Peter, uh, can I just forgive them seven times and then withhold forgiveness? Jesus says to Peter that the capacity to forgive should be boundless. It should be uncountable. I've had some conversations this past week with a few people who were inspired by Jesus' words. It, it turns out that most of us are a lot better at keeping score than we are at enjoying the game. What's the point of playing if you can't prove that you won? As some of our kids were with the children's sermon. Well, today we come to kind of the same issue, but from a slightly different angle. For some, winning isn't the most important thing for them. No, their joy is not found in winning. Their joy is watching their opponents lose. This morning we come into the backside of the story about Jonah, and perhaps you're familiar with the first part. Jonah was called by God to prophesy to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the home of King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And how Jonah ran away from that call and took a boat in the opposite direction towards Tarshish, towards actually what is now Spain. I love the speed that the story progresses. When you read the first three verses, you're only three verses into the book and already Jonah is on his way away from what God has called him to do. Now, we also know the part of the story where the boat hits a great storm and the sailors are extremely disturbed by the level and ferocity of the storm. Clearly, the gods are mad. And so they take a poll. Who has annoyed their god? Jonah finally says, yeah, it was probably me. I'm, I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh and I'm hiding from my god. And they said, well, you know what you've got to do to make the storm stop? And Jonah said, that would be, and they picked him up and threw him overboard. And you know the story of the great fish that God had prepared to swallow Jonah up. And for three days he's there in the belly of the fish. And then the fish finally comes to shore and bleep, throws Jonah up onto the beach. Because as we all know, you can't keep a good man down. <laughs> Startled by his experience, mildly put, Jonah decides to relent and take the long journey to Nineveh, to that great Assyrian city. A place so large that it takes three days to walk through it. Jonah's with a city that archaeologists have told us was truly that big. 300 years after Jonah was in Nineveh, the Greek historian Xenophon stumbled upon the remains of Nineveh. 
It was destroyed by the Medes at that point, more than a century after Jonah had been preaching there. And writing in 401 B.C., Xenophon observed, the foundation of its wall was made of polished stone full of shells and was 50 feet in breadth and 50 feet in height. Upon this foundation was built a wall of brick 50 feet and 100 in height. The circuit of the wall was over 20 miles. It's estimated that the city of Nineveh at the time of Jonah could have supported 170,000 residents. And into that great city, Jonah proclaims the judgment of Yahweh. Because of your wickedness, says Jonah, smelling of fish barf, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he retires on a hill opposite the city and waits for its obliteration. That's where we find Jonah this morning. What Jonah did not calculate was the power of the people's repentance. We read in chapter 3, verse 6, how Sennacherib, the great king of the Assyrians, took off his royal robes and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he had the people repent and show their repentance by fasting and praying that the God of Jonah would not destroy them. That God would show them mercy. So there are two repentant moments in the book of Jonah. The second is the repentance of the Ninevites. Hearing God's planned judgment, they take upon themselves the punishment for their deeds, and they seriously reverse the evil of their hearts and move in a righteous direction. The other penance was Jonah's. Now, to repent means to change one's direction or to change one's mind. I see things this way. Revelation has come and I realize that's no longer true, and I need to see things a different way. Hearing God's planned judgment, the people took upon themselves a change of heart, a change of mind. It was a deep repentance. Jonah's, on the other hand, not so deep, right? It was only a change of plans because God made him suffer in a fish for a few days, and in response to that, he indeed changed his direction, but he doesn't change his attitude. He had no desire to see the Ninevites spared from the judgment of God. He had proclaimed destruction, and now he wanted to watch the show. Popcorn in hand. As Jonah saw it, the only thing better than winning was to watch his enemies lose. It's been observed that the story of Jonah is that of an anti-prophet, an anti-prophet, First, he rejects God's call, the opposite of what a prophet would do. Then, reeking of fish guts, he relents and does as he was originally told, but his motivation is not aligned with God's purpose. He has no love for the Ninevites and certainly no compassion for their outcome. Jonah sheds no tears over the... uh, I'm sorry, Jonah sheds more tears over the death of a shrub than he does over the potential loss of 120,000 lives. Odd little reverence, and Olivia asked me, who don't know the right hand from their left. God is saying 120,000 people who wouldn't even understand righteousness because they didn't have the law. 
They didn't know what God expected of them, but their repentance is received. Jonah was hoping 120,000 people, along with their livestock, would be obliterated. But he weeps because God made the little shade shrub die. God's capacity to change God's mind about the calamity that was planned for Nineveh became for Jonah an annoyance. Certainly not the response of a contemplative prophet of Yahweh. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is doubly hard if it means watching our enemies succeed. The landowner standing in front of the temp agency looking for landscapers understood this dilemma. He needed his fields harvested and he grossly underestimated how many it would take to bring the harvest in in a timely manner. The grapes were ripe and they needed to be picked in a hurry. Three, four, five times he goes to the temp agency and he employs progressively more laborers each time until he's finally hired out the entire temp agency's personnel list. And each time he promises he will pay them a fair wage. Of course, we know the story. He paid everyone for a full day's wage. It wasn't their fault that he didn't employ him the first time when he showed up at the beginning. It was random luck that some got jobs and others had to wait. Some labored by working in the field and others labored by fearing that they would not work at all, that they'd receive nothing for the time of their day. And so the landowner recognized that. As far as he was concerned, they deserved a full day's pay because they had waited until they could be called. But those who were hired first uh, thought that they deserved more. 2,000 years, human nature has changed. Not at all, right? They were angered, just like Jonah. They'd done as they were told, but they were disgusted because their boss decided to be generous. How do we respond when those whom we do not like succeed? Hard enough to see your neighbor move to a nicer neighborhood and a bigger house, a better place. It's doubly hard when we see that happen to somebody we don't like. I'm happy for you, we say through gritted teeth, and then go back to our home suddenly deeply unsatisfied with what we've got. It was okay a little bit ago, but when he found out somebody got more, it suddenly all seems so insufficient. It's unsatisfactory because... Somebody else has a nicer one. It's the grimace of the silver medalist. Almost the best. Ungrateful for second place. In the previous chapter, Mark, Matthew 19, before Jesus tells his story, Jesus introduces it with the same aphorism with which he ends it. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. We love the image of our invitation, our privilege, when Jesus says, here, cut in line, be among the first. We love that. And if anybody gets upset, we say, well, I know a guy. Right? But when someone cuts in front of us, 
How are we when the same mercy is applied to others? I mentioned that Jonah was an anti-prophet. He is called so because he has the opposite of a prophet's heart. He didn't understand the mercy of God, and so he could not find in himself compassion. Jesus had said that the kingdom of God belongs to the little ones just a few paragraphs before in Matthew 19. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me. And he's saying this while the disciples are trying to keep the kids away. It's one thing to forgive another's wrong against it. It's quite another thing to hope they succeed. Tonight, our Jewish brothers and sisters at sundown will begin to observe the holiday known as Yom Kippur. It's the conclusion of ten days of repentance that started with Rosh Hashanah. This process for tonight is dramatically expressed in a poem in Lieutenant Tanakh, which is recited in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in synagogues all over the world. Hear what is written. A great shofar will be born, blown. That's the ram's horn that is fashioned into an instrument that makes a loud, mournful cry. And a small, still voice will be heard. The angels will make haste and be seized with fear and trembling and say, Behold the day of judgment. On Rosh Hashanah it is written, and on Yom Kippur fast it is sealed. How many will pass and how many will be created? Who will live and who will die? Who in his time and who not in his time? But repentance, prayer, and charity remove the evil of the decree. For you do not desire a person's death but rather that he repent and live. Until the day of his death you shall wait for him. If he repents, you accept him immediately. The principle, the first may be last, the last may be first, but God's generosity and judgment is not to be questioned. Both of our scripture lessons this morning end with the same question. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Or are you envious because I am generous? God grant us to be happy when others are saved. Amen. Please stand and join with me in our confession using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Holy Spirit, suffered and died.